You were designed by God to glorify God. It was programmed within your very DNA since the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. True purpose and meaning to life cannot be found in fame or fortune, people or pleasure, power or prestige. The obtaining of a sense of direction and significance comes only as you choose an intimate, personal relationship with God and walk in obedience to His commands, all for the purpose of bringing praise and glory to Him. Well, welcome to the Point of Purity podcast. I'm your host, Steve Etner, author, national speaker, certified professional mentor, and purity coach for the Pure Man Ministry. This is episode 157. In this week's episode, we begin a new mini-series on discovering how our thinking impacts our doing. This week's episode is entitled, Life, What's the Purpose? Have you ever paused long enough to consider not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it? Have you ever asked yourself where life is going? Maybe the job is stalled out. You've been passed up time and time again for that promotion, and you're certainly not getting any younger. Perhaps you're struggling to try to stay ahead of the bill collectors while you're fighting that ever-growing brick that's lying heavy in the pit of your stomach as the property taxes are coming due and the credit card debt is mounting. Possibly your day consists of cleaning up after the kids, doing the laundry, cleaning up after the kids, vacuuming. Oh, and and don't forget, cleaning up after the kids again to repeat, be repeated day in and day out. Routine leads to boredom and lethargy and apathy. And you begin asking yourself, what's the point? There's got to be more to life than this, right? Well, my friend, I submit that the answer is a resounding yes. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, we see the story of this guy named Solomon. Now, you may already be familiar with that name. I mean, after all, Solomon's the guy who asked God for a boatload of wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3. He's the guy who had David for a father, 2 Chronicles 1, 1 Kings chapter 2. He's the guy who wrote the book of Proverbs and the book of Song of Solomon, Proverbs 1, verse 1, Song of Solomon 1, verse 1. He's the guy who built a magnificent temple to honor God, 1 Kings chapter 6. Oh, and he's the guy who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, 1 Kings 11, verse 3. I got to admit, I'm not so sure about the wisdom in that decision. But throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon embarks on this massive quest to try and find meaning and purpose to his life. He tells the story as he tries to find satisfaction and fulfillment in money, in possessions, relationships, even pleasures. I mean, he runs the whole gambit. And yet, no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much money he put in the bank, how many things he accumulated, how many friendships he developed, how, how many types of pleasures he, and, and passions he pursued— He just couldn't quite find true meaning and purpose to his life. Those things just weren't cutting it. In fact, at one point during his search, he grabs his quill and some parchment paper and proceeds to pen these words of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, like chasing after the wind. Later on, he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Can you relate at all to that? 
Have you ever felt the monotony of life grinding ever onward, leaving boredom and dissatisfaction in its wake? Well, near the end of his life, it finally dawns on Solomon that he had wasted the majority of it searching in all the wrong places, and he was looking for all the wrong things. He realized he had put the emphasis upon himself instead of where it truly belonged, on God. Everything Solomon chose to pursue only brought him a temporary, fleeting gratification at best, and it tended to be more of a a, a nuisance than anything else. Well, as a result, Solomon makes this one final, very powerful declaration in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Here's what he says. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. In short, this is what Solomon was saying. I've squandered my life, my strength, my resources, searching long and hard, far and wide, trying to find meaning and purpose to life. Now that I've done all of that, here's what I've learned. True, lasting meaning and purpose, satisfaction and fulfillment is found only when I choose to focus my entire being around glorifying God. You know, Solomon's affirmation is just as true for you and I today as it was the day he originally penned those powerful words. We have been created by God for one purpose and one alone, and that is to know him and live a godly life that brings honor and glory to him in everything we think, everything we see, say, and everything we do. Isaiah 43, 7, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Colossians 3, 17. This biblical truth, my friend, is at the foundation of everything you're going to hear in this episode, everything that you have ever listened to in these podcasts. You were designed by God to glorify God. Let's face it, it was programmed within your very DNA since the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. So true purpose and meaning to life cannot, it cannot be found in fame or fortune, people or pleasures, power or prestige. The obtaining of a sense of direction, a sense of significance, that comes only as you fulfill the intent of your creator. As you discover, with his help, an intimate personal relationship with the creator of the universe, and then you choose to walk in obedience to all of his commands, all for the purpose of bringing praise and glory to Him and Him alone. Truly, we need to fear God and keep His commandments. Solomon's father, King David, wrote in Psalm 112, verse 1, that the man who fears the Lord and delights in His commands is the one who is blessed of God. In other words, when you are doing all that God created you to do, then and only then are you truly happy. Only then are you fulfilled and satisfied. Only then will you find meaning and purpose to life. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, that God requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees for your own good. Again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Compare that with 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, Proverbs 21, verse 3, Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. My friend, it could not be any clearer. 
when you daily choose to walk in humble obedience to God, when you daily choose to bring the glory and praise that's due to your Heavenly Father and your Savior and your friend, as you were created to do, that's when you are fulfilling your purpose. That is when you'll find lasting joy, peace, and meaning to life, and not until then. The question we must face here is this. Deep down in your heart of hearts, do you sincerely want, do you deeply long for, desire, crave a life that is characterized by godliness? Do you truly want to live in a way that honors and glorifies God in everything you think, everything you say, and everything you do, every moment of every day? Well, I'm going to assume for a moment that your answer to that question is, well, yes, I want to live a life that in every way reflects God. Yes, I want to daily be, think, do, say, and feel in the ways that God wants me to. Well, if that's your answer, my follow-up question for you is this. What are you doing right now to achieve that goal? What are you doing right now? Right now? Right now? You get the idea? What plan of action do you have in place to pursue that purpose? And, and, and whom have you asked to hold you accountable? I suggest that as the saying goes, there's no better time than right now. But let me encourage you with this. Simply wanting something is not going to make it happen. For example, as, as I sit here and, and record this podcast, I want to be 15 to 20 pounds lighter. Or do I? You see, unless I choose to change my daily life habits, unless I choose to consistently adhere to a specific diet and exercise program, let's face it, losing that weight just isn't going to happen, no matter how much I think I want it to. In fact, if I'm not careful, just the opposite could happen. My want to is actually a won't do because I don't do what I should do. I may think I want to be a godly man. I may be under the impression that I long for every thought I think, every word I say, everything I do to always glorify my Heavenly Father. However, unless I choose daily to make some spiritual life changes, unless I choose to adhere to that spiritual diet and exercise program that God wants to put me on, it, spiritual growth, spiritual bringing glory to God is not going to happen no matter how much I claim that I want it to. To be godly begins with a strong desire for it, yes. But you must also have a plan and then actually put that plan into motion. So again, I pose this question to you. What are you doing right now, right now, right now to pursue godliness? Godliness does not automatically happen. The moment you were saved, you did not become instantly godly. Nor does godliness come easy. Take a close, hard look at your spiritual life to date. Have you periodically tried to be godly, only to find that you failed once again in, in your self-righteous attempts? Truth be told, there are times when we fail to succeed even when our desire is genuine and our efforts are sincere. We definitely want to do the right thing. We want to glorify God in our daily lives, and, let, and yet, let, let, let's face it, we tend to fall short of the goal sometimes, don't we? 
whether it's the summer or winter Olympics, it really doesn't matter to us. My wife and I, we enjoy watching the athletes compete. We appreciate seeing the competitors doing things that we can only dream of doing. I mean, personally, I can only imagine what it would be like to glide effortlessly across the ice or to soar through the air after zipping down an an ice-covered hill at, at breakneck speeds. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you that not one of those Olympic athletes who stand on the winner's podium, no matter their sport, their discipline, their age, their gender, their country of origin, not one of them woke up one day and said on a whim, hey, I want to go compete in the Olympics. They didn't suddenly contact the airlines, buy a plane ticket, hop the next jet over to the Olympic venue and stand in line to compete before they ever placed a foot on those starting blocks before they ever stepped up onto the springboard to swim that 100-meter dash, before they ever flew over the uneven bars, before they ever did a triple lutz or a quad, they began the journey to the Olympics with an intensive, intentional training program. They shed blood. They sweat buckets, and it took them years to achieve their goal. The athlete who is training for such an event, not only sets up a plan on how to achieve their goal, they surround themselves with the right equipment that's necessary for the task. Well, think about it. In the same way, if we're going to train ourselves to be godly like the scriptures tell us to, we need the right equipment. In his second epistle, Peter writes this in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, 2 Peter 1.3. Now, don't miss this. God has already provided you with everything you need to be godly, everything you need to consistently live that godliness out in your daily choices and behavior. You already have it. That power comes through your knowledge of him as he's revealing himself in his word. I want you to notice that Peter states it's God's divine power that provides us with everything we need to live a godly life. You see, by using the word divine, Peter is telling us that that which is being spoken of, in other words, the power or the ability to be godly, that power belongs to God alone. It's divine. Only God possesses the ability to provide all that you and I need to be godly in our everyday, every moment living. That power does not naturally reside within you. It doesn't naturally reside within me. In and of ourselves, we will always, mark it down, always fall short. We will fail to actually be godly. That's why Peter calls it divine power. Now, with that in mind, I want to take a closer look at that word power, his divine power. That word power refers to the natural inherent strength and capability to do something. The one who has this kind of power is not dependent upon an outside source to accomplish the task. Now, that's important that you grasp that, so let me repeat that. The one who has this power, this natural inherent strength and capability to do something, they're not dependent upon an outside source to accomplish the task. Like like a, a, a power screwdriver is dependent upon the battery in order for it to function. The, the power or uh, let me let me reword that the power the ability to do or be godly 
resides within the individual. So, so divine power, this is, this is important, track with me now, divine power means that only God, remember the word divine, only God has within himself the natural capability, the power to equip us with everything we need to live a godly life. I can't equip you, you cannot equip me, only God can equip us. With that understanding, I, I want to pose this question to you. Why then do we try to do it on our own? <laughs> Job asks the question, who can bring what is pure from the impure? He then answers his own question by saying, no one. Job 14, verse 4. In and of ourselves, we are incapable of being godly. We just don't have the power. We don't have the ability to be godly without God's help. In fact, God said in Psalm 14, verse 3, all have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Take a look at Psalm 53, verse 3, and Romans 3, verses 10 and 12. It says the same, gives us the same uh, principle. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Compare that with Isaiah 53, verse 6. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Solomon writes, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. The point is simply this. On our own, we are totally incapable of being consistently godly. Left on our own without any divine godly influence or enablement, we will choose every time to sin. The only way that we will live a life that unfailingly glorifies God is if God himself, who naturally possesses all godliness and power, comes to dwell within us and he places that godliness, that natural godliness that he has, he puts it within us. And we, in turn, remove ourselves from the throne. We dethrone King Me, and we willingly choose to allow God to reign in our hearts. We willingly choose to yield to His divine power in our lives. Think about it this way. Godliness is not me doing or being something. I, I'm not a godly man because I stop doing certain things and I start doing other things. It's King Me stepping off the throne and yielding, surrendering, allowing God to live out His godly attributes through me. That's why John declared in John chapter 3, verse 30, He, referring to Christ, must become greater and I must become less. Peter assures us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that God's divine power has already given the born-again believer everything we need for a godly life. So again, I ask you this question, why then do you try to do it on your own? Let's once again draw our attention back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to notice Peter's use of the words, has given. God's divine power has given us everything we need. That phrase, has given us, is written in what's called the perfect tense, passive voice. Now, stay with me, let me explain it to you. You see, in Scripture, when we see something written in the perfect tense, 
It describes an action which has already been completed sometime in the past. It was a once and for all thing, one and done, never, ever, ever needing to be repeated again. So when Peter says that God's divine power has given us everything we need to be uh, to be godly, and he writes it in the perfect tense, Peter's saying, this has already been done for us. It doesn't need to be repeated again and again and again. As a born-again believer, you already have everything you need to be godly. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to go searching for it. You don't have to try to manufacture it. Because God's divine power has already given you everything you need to be godly. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Now, you may remember I said a moment ago that not only was it written in the per, uh, present tense, but it was written in the passive voice. Again, in the scriptures, when something is written in the passive voice, it means that the subject, in this case the born-again believer, is the recipient of the action as opposed to being the doer of the action. In other words, the action being described has been done to you or for you and not by you. That's the passive voice. Here's where it gets exciting. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you, 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 get this, you, Y-O-U, you are the subject of this verse. God's divine power has already given you everything you need to be godly. Every person who names the name of Jesus Christ as Savior is the recipient of everything needed to be godly. In other words, you have no excuse. Now, the next thing I want us to consider is that God's divine power is, has already been given. Let me, let me repeat that. I'm, I'm tripping over my own tongue this morning. I, I apologize. God's divine power has already given you everything you need. This word everything is another way of putting, uh, putting it is, is all. He's given you all that you need. I like to define the word all this way. All means all, and that's all all means. It's a word that refers to each and every part of the whole, leaving absolutely nothing out. God's divine power has already given all you need for living godly. You've got it all. You can't manufacture it. You can't assemble it. You can't go mining for it. You can't produce it on your own. And you don't need to. You already have it, all of it. God is the only source. And he has already given it to you. He's placed it inside of you in your new nature. So exactly where is this power then to live a godly life? Well, the answer is found within our text in First Peter, chapter Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. He says we can find everything we need for godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now, now, don't miss this. Peter says it's through our knowledge of God that we are enabled to be godly. That word "through" carries with it the idea that this is the instrument. This is the way that something's going to be accomplished. It is through your knowledge of God, by means of your knowledge of God, as you grow in your knowledge of God, that you are given everything you need to live a godly life. All right, we're going to pause right here. We're going we're gonna to hold on until next week's episode, and we're going to continue this thought. If you'd like to learn more about today's study, or if you're interested in learning more about the Pure Man Ministry, 
I invite you to visit our website. There's a multitude of resources available to you. You can find our website at The Purity Coach. It's all one word, The Purity, P-U-R-I-T-Y, Coach, C-O-A-C-H, ThePurityCoach.com. One of the resources I'd like to highlight for you here in this week's episode is my book entitled Extreme Mind Makeover, How to Transform Sinful Thoughts and Habits into Patterns of Life Pleasing to God. This book, Extreme Mind Makeover, takes you on a journey through the Bible to examine what God has to say about how your thoughts, your words, and your actions influence and impact your heart. If you've followed this Point of Purity podcast for any length of time, then you've heard me emphasize the fact that what you think becomes what you do. When you train your mind to think godly thoughts, the things that you say, the things that you do day in and day out will be godly. On the flip side, when you allow your mind to think sinful, fleshly, ungodly, king-me-centered thoughts, the result, your daily actions, your attitudes, they're going to be ungodly. So how do we change the way we think? How do we change the things that we do? How do we successfully and effectively guard our heart? That, that's the theme of the book, Extreme Mind Makeover. This book takes you into God's Word and helps you answer those questions. So if that interests you, I encourage you to go to our website, thepuritycoach.com, and click on the link that says Resources, or go directly to Amazon.com and do a search for Extreme Mind Makeover and purchase your copy today. If you've not yet subscribed to this Point of Purity podcast, oh, let me encourage you to do so today. I don't want you to miss any of our upcoming episodes. Well, until next time, this is author, speaker, certified professional mentor, and purity coach Steve Etner for the Pure Men Ministry reminding you that if you're going to glorify God in your everyday living, He must first be glorified in your every moment thinking.